When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of AMA Live. I am your host... Tom Billiou, but it's not live. So technically, just welcome to an AMA. I'm so used to saying that. And I'm going to be taking your questions because I'm traveling this weekend. We have an amazing event. I'm going to be in Chicago at the Comic-Con there. We continue to beef up this company from a content creation standpoint. So if you're in the Chicago area, by the way, be sure to say what's up. Hit me up on social. We'll find each other. I don't have a booth this time, so we're just going to have to find each other. All right, first question without further ado is from Plastic Funnel. That's quite the name. Is your answer to coping with the feeling of being a fraud uh, in your answer? That makes a lot more sense. In your answer to coping with the feeling of being a fraud, you sound like a madman in your hunger to learn on a long on a long enough timeline you will win. But where do you draw the line between a self-reinforced delusion that is strategically useful and not useful? That's a great question. Um, so this is something that you have to get really good at, being able to hold two competing ideas in your head at the same time, being able to feel like, I really have this, I've got it, I know what I'm doing, I'm moving forward full steam ahead, and checking yourself and making sure that that confidence isn't spilling over into destructive delusion. I wouldn't even say to monitor it just to make sure that it's not spilling over into delusion because almost certainly, if you've never done something before, to believe that you can is pure delusion. To believe you can learn, on the other hand, is not. But that's where you've got to have that balance. You've really got to believe that you're going to pull this off, that you're going to figure it out, that somehow, some way, that you're going to be the one that figures out what nobody else could figure out. And I'll say that really is delusional, statistically speaking, certainly. And you have to then check that against, okay, where where is the, the borders of usability here? It's good that I'm thinking like that. It's good that I have the energy. It's good, and this is the most important part, that I have the willingness to act decisively, which is where most people fall down. But you really do have to then check yourself and say, okay, where are my points of weakness? And what I find is <clears throat> a lot of times, what you need over here on the I can do this side is uh, a quiet self-belief that's inside you. You don't have to trumpet that a lot, but you need that quiet self-belief. What you need to get other people rallied around you is they need to see decisiveness. They need to see certainty. There is so much intoxication to certainty. So now we've got those things. We believe in ourselves, our ability to learn and adapt. Cool. Our team believes that we, that we believe we know what we're doing awesome. And they can get excited by that certainty, the clarity of vision. They know exactly how to execute. There's no ambiguity. There's no confusion. Those are the things that kill teams. Then on the other hand, we have an ability to very clearly articulate to ourselves, if nobody else, but oftentimes I do involve the team on this, to articulate to ourselves what our weakest points are and what 
the parts in the puzzle that we're trying to solve for. Now, the reason I'm able to involve the team in that is because they can see that I'm not wavering on my certainty of what to do. So I'm saying, do this, go here, talk to this person, say this, get that, think about it like this. Then over here, I can say, okay, and now we're gonna flip it over. We're gonna look at the underbelly of the strategy and see if we're actually right. And I'll walk people through my logic. Now, this is where if your logic isn't sound, your team is gonna revolt. So my thing is by the time I'm talking to the team and certainly by the time that I'm revealing my soft underbelly, I have thought about this so much that I really, really, have the issue conceptualized. And as long as there's a logical through line in my um, plan that the team can hold on to, they'll go, okay, I dig it, his logic makes sense. And the punchline of his logic is go do this for now. We're gonna revisit it, we're gonna come check back. So there's a self-awareness in the process of knowing I could be wrong, I'm always gonna be checking myself. I'm gonna be looking to see if those things that I'm telling the team to go do, if they're actually revealing or giving us results or not. And if they're not, then we're going to adjust strategy. And because I've told everybody where we're at, but I've kept everybody focused with the certainty, the clarity, the decisiveness, then other voices can be heard. We're constantly looking and checking at that. But this process of doing what they call red team, blue team, where you're actively trying to pick holes in your um, the, the way your plan, what you're actually executing, those voices have been in the mix. They feel like they're being heard, and that's another critical part to keeping the team going. Okay, so there it is. All right, Ray Paulus. How do you limit yourself, especially to new opportunities? Oftentimes, they get overloaded with the responsibility of each new opportunity. Okay, 80% of business is knowing what not to do. That's the really hard part. <coughs> Most people have no dearth of opportunities. And I think that that has certainly uh, been true in my life. I think that that's certainly true for most people. The real hard part is being in that room with a thousand doors and knowing which doors to close. So you have to get really good at creating certainty, at being decisive, at being willing to take a step. And <coughs> when it comes to that, honestly, the thing that I've noticed most is just a willingness the willingness to make a decision, even when you don't have all the information, that's really where we separate the people that go on to win from the people that just stand still. Because remember, the most data-rich information stream is action. Whether that action is a win or a loss <coughs> is somewhat irrelevant. The whole point is you have to be moving forward. You have to be acting decisively because that gives you that data-rich information stream. Most people are so terrified to make a mistake. They're so paralyzed by indecision because they don't know which is right that they never make a decision. They never hit that data-rich stream and they don't learn very fast. And so they move 10 times, 20 times, 100 times more slowly than the next person who's willing to act, who's willing to make mistakes, who's not afraid to look stupid. So that's the key. As I'm sure you've heard said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. <clears throat> I will modify that and say the only thing that we have to fear is indecision. Next question, David Beer. I have a question about how you research people. You, <coughs> God, <coughs> you mentioned how deep you go understanding their world, but how deep do you really go? Specifically, what is your step-by-step -step <coughs> process? I'm laughing at myself here. And how much time do you spend on it? 
All right, so I really do go deep and I spend probably average 10 to 12 hours on a main episode guest that's reading their book, it's watching all of their videos. <coughs> and doing all of that, the key thing that I do, and this is where there's really two things that I do that I think really separate my style. Number one, I follow my fascinations. And oftentimes, my fascination will lead me to look up something really obscure. <coughs> and in doing that, I stumble upon oftentimes like a real piece of humanity. And that's where people really, really end up connecting with the guests. And certainly, that's where the guest ends up connecting with me. And don't underestimate the power of the guests connecting with me and then being willing to lower their guard. And that's why a lot of times people say that I get something out of people that other people don't because the guest feels very safe. And that, that's a really critical part of my interview style. So um, <coughs> one example of this was with um, Seth Godin. And I came across this tidbit where he said... Um, I once cried when um, Leonard Nimoy died. And I thought, whoa, that's so weird. Like, what would make him cry about that? What is that? And so going down that rabbit hole and trying to figure out what his relationship is, reading some of his blog articles around that, around characters, narration, uh, the difference between Star Wars and, um, and Star Trek, and you really start to get an understanding of where he might go. Now, I don't always live by the following maxim, but this may be one of the most important um, things. <coughs> if you're trying to copy my interview style, one of the most important things to know is I try never to ask a question to which I don't already know the answer. Now, hopefully it doesn't feel that way. Hopefully it feels very spontaneous on set. But the reality is I'm trying to take the interview somewhere. And when it's something that really fascinates me, I want to understand why they say that. And the reason I understand why they've said the saying that fascinates me, <coughs> the reason I need to understand that, excuse me, is because I need to know if their answer is going to be valuable to you, the audience. That's, that's huge, right? My obligation is to you guys. My obligation is to figure out how do I take this person somewhere where they, A, haven't already said this, that thing a thousand times, and then B, that when you hear this new piece of information that they have, that you're actually going to be interested. So I'm always looking for things that you guys can adapt into your own life. And whenever something is an operational level belief system, then I'm really excited. So in a nutshell, those are the things that I'm really trying to do. I'm trying to follow my own fascination to make sure that I'm really interested in what they're saying so that I can be super authentic on set, that they will feel <coughs> that they will feel really heard and understood. <coughs> Connor, you're gonna have to cut all these out, man. It's just getting fucking crazy. Not yet. Um, so I want them to feel heard and understood. I want there to be a real connection. I want to be going a layer deeper than anybody else. And I want to know, I know how they're going to answer that question so that I can follow it up with another question. Or if they say something um, and it takes us into new territory, maybe even my response catches me off guard on set to something they say and now we go somewhere new. Um, 
then I know how to bring it back because I know all the areas that I want to touch on because I really have a 360 degree view of the person. All right, so I think that's enough on that. Jenna Robinson, I'm currently reading Mastery and there's a part where Robert Greene says, in your 20s, you should go through an apprenticeship phase. Does this contradict your idea of having a super specific goal where you can map out every zigzag? How would you do that when you're in this experimental phase of your life, when you're trying to figure out what career you want? <coughs> so it doesn't contradict it. They're just different parts of your life, different times in your life. And the, one of the most powerful parts of the mastery phase is that you've really identified what you want to do. And once you've identified what you want to do, going and working with the master is one of the ways to really rapidly gain the skills that you need. So there's two parts. There's the exploratory phase where you're not sure what you want to do. And I wouldn't try to prematurely optimize by going down the path of gaining mastery. I would just try to experience a lot of things. I would play with them. I would dabble and see which one really strikes your fancy. Once you know which one really strikes your fancy, you're super interested, that's the path you want to go down. <clears throat> You've maybe even begun going down the process of gaining mastery already, and you realize, I love this. I love this enough to put in the work. I believe in what it's going to bring to me in terms of what mission it's going to allow me to accomplish. <clears throat> then you go and engage with the master and you pour yourself into that study and working with them. And in doing so, they're going to shorten your learning curve, which is incredibly, incredibly powerful. So um, spending your 20s in that phase, if you've already gotten to the point where you know that's what you want to do, then that's amazing. If it takes you into your 30s, so be it. But before you start optimizing, which is what you're doing with the master, you want to make sure that you first know that that really is the area that you want to go down. All right. <clears throat> day day. Many people do not execute on their goals because they lack a clear vision of all of their pathways to success. How did you go about finding options C and D instead of just choosing A and B? Um, well, that's not really how I think about it, if I'm honest. So <clears throat> what I do is I play a game called No Bullshit, What Would It Take? And I try to work backwards from success. And I say that I'm working backwards in a slightly different way than I normally mean it. What I'm talking about is I find a path where anybody you tell would be like, yeah, well, 100% that would work. No one would do it. It's crazy. It's not technologically feasible. Whatever thing they say then after that. But yes, if you could do that, that would work. Like if I said you had to commute, um, you know, 20 miles in LA and you had to do it in less than 30 minutes at rush hour. Well, what would you do? You would have to fly in a helicopter. Everybody would say, yep, <coughs> that would work. You can't afford it, but that would work. And then you can work backwards from there and you see people doing things like building drones now. They carry a single person. They worked with the FAA to actually get them legal. <coughs> so that's how something like that is really going to work is somebody started from, well, I know what success looks like. Now it becomes, how do we make a feasible version of that rather than what most people do, which is think of where they are today and think how impossible it would be to get there in their car. They first started a car and then they start thinking maybe they would do a motorcycle. Okay, that's working from failure and trying to work forward. Instead, work from success, something you know, guaranteed home run, it works. And then look at what are the things that stand in your way. <coughs> and if some of the things that stand in your way, in the case of a helicopter, cost, then it becomes a question of can you reduce the cost of that method. So uh, we talked about this before we started Quest. 
how would we end metabolic disease? Well, we knew if we could make food that people chose based on taste and it happened to be good for them, then it would work because we'd be leveraging people's um, own behaviors against them, their desire to um, eat hyperpalatable foods, uh, packaged, convenienced, well-marketed, all that stuff. That's what's driving eating behavior. So if we could take advantage of that and then just slide in something that was actually good for you, then we really had a shot. Doing the same thing here at Impact Theory, I know to get the average person to adopt an empowering belief system, it has to come in the form of entertainment, has to be someone invisible, it's got to be baked into the cultural subconscious, and that over time, people just begin to think like that. So um, that's why we're doing it that way. So more than I'm, you know, I'm thinking, uh, oh, here's path number one, <clears throat> I'm thinking, what's the most real, <clears throat> what's the most realistic, plausible path? And then does it meet other criteria? Can it be monetized? Am I going to have fun? Am I passionate about both the path and the goal? So all of those things play into it as well. Josh Moranian, I realize that I don't have a super specific goal, but I have a clear vision of what my goal looks like. I know I am going to be leading a team company in an industry I'm passionate about. My question is, how can I specify my goal without limiting my paths to get where I want in my career? How can I specify my goal without limiting my paths? In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with eBay Motors. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors 
has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, so <clears throat> the the problem is you don't actually know what your goal looks like. So this is the the... The quintessential question I get asked is somebody who says that they have a clear vision of their goal, but then what they describe is something as super vague as, I know I'm going to be leading a team company in an industry that I'm passionate about. Okay, please understand that is a hopelessly vague statement. Like that is vague in the most aggressive way possible. And it's the vagaries of that that then create the problem. So, because you don't know what to execute against, you don't know what kind of products to make, you don't know who your consumers are. So, when doing a business, when doing anything in life, you, you really have to get down to the level of just absolutely ridiculous hyper-specificity. So, the example that I always use is of the Olympics. The, uh, the goal that you have is as vague as saying, I want to win a gold medal. So first of all, you want to win a gold medal in what? The Olympics? Okay, cool. You want to win an Olympic gold medal. Winter or summer? Okay, summer. Tennis? Swimming? Like, what is it? Swimming? Okay, great. Do you want to do the breaststroke? Do you want to do the medley? Like, what exactly is it? Until you know the very specific event in the sport in the games that you want to play, you're not going to know how you should train. And at the end of the day, it's the training. It's the acquisition of skills. That's really what you're trying to get down to. That's why you need the hyper degree of specificity because without that, you can't A, drive forward. You can't acquire the right skills. And B, if you don't know exactly where you're going, then you'll never know if you're making progress. So when you have a goal that's super vague, like I want to <clears throat> drive around in my car. Okay, great. Like, you're driving around in your car. Now what? You don't know whether you're going in the right direction. You don't know if you're making any progress. So you really have to pin this stuff down to a just an insanely clear and specific place. Once you have that, then you'll know what you should be training in and whether or not you're making progress. Steven Schrembeck. <clears throat> I've been working on Ray Dalio's Radical Truth Principle for two months now. But radical transparency is a huge hurdle. How do I practice radical transparency without pissing off everyone in my life who doesn't get it? Do I need to ask permission to be honest? Is that good enough? I will say that this is near impossible to do with everyone in your life. If people don't buy into it, it is absolutely not going to work. Uh, one, Ray Dalio's principles is written within the context of people who have agreed to be a part of a team. So whether it's at a job, I think you can get people to agree there. If it's in your immediate family, you can get people to agree there. But once it starts going farther than that, like unless you have... Um, a soccer team or something where you can actually get people to come together, you can present the idea and see if they buy into it. Um, it's pretty hard to abide by Ray Dalio's principles without people actually buying into that. So that's first and foremost. It's got to be applied to a group that will actually buy into it. it. It really won't work. It'll be totally dysfunctional for you to just try to do it. Now, you can live your life by principles and you can be radically honest and transparent about yourself. You can even decide that you want to be radically transparent with with other people and you can train them to only ask you questions if they really want to know the truth. But what you've got to ask is, what do you hope to get out of that? Because if people haven't bought in to radical transparency, you will come across like a jerk. It won't be read well. Chances are they're going to 
diminish the um, frequency with which they invite you to be a part of their group. But if you're okay with that, if it's not groups that you want to be a part of, if you only want to be around people that are living in principles, then maybe that's perfectly fine. But you need to really think through exactly what it is you're trying to get. And I would say that ultimately Ray Dalio's principles are specifically for people who are in a group that will all buy in. All right, Mischief Co. I started an online business a year ago and things were going really well. Recently, sales have dropped to the point where I'm quickly eating my way into my savings every month. I don't know if I should quit this business and start a new one, go back to a nine to five or stick this out. What advice do you have for someone who's struggling with a rough time in their business? To me, this all comes down to none of those are wrong answers. So this all comes down to what do you really want? Like, what's your identity? What's your mission in life? What are you really trying to accomplish? So if that business is just a path on a way to a bigger goal that you believe in with all of your heart and soul, then it might be worth shutting that one down and starting something new. It might be worth buckling down and figuring out where you're going wrong, using austerity measures in your company, cutting off every ounce of fat, getting super lean, um, figuring out what's happened in the marketplace, pivoting, like finding that, solving that problem. If you're not emotionally hung up on the money and having to step backwards financially, like if you can really hunker down and solve that problem, could be beautiful. Maybe some of the most powerful lessons that you'll learn in business. Um, on the flip side, if you uh, didn't notice the changing in sales fast enough that there's just a tsunami of debt on the business or something and you can't get out from under it, then closing that business down and starting something new with the fresh knowledge, maybe that's the way to go. But it really all comes down to what exactly it is you're trying to accomplish. I know none of these are easy and I know especially if you have debt in the business or you took money from friends and family or something like that, this can be incredibly, incredibly stressful. I'm not downplaying that, but just make sure that you're looking at yourself on a long time horizon, that you're not judging yourself through the lens of a moment and that you know what your ultimate goal is. And so if this business is a failure, but it teaches you something that you needed in order to actually get where you're ultimately going, and just to differentiate, like for instance, with impact theory, my mission is to pull people out of the matrix, to give them an empowering belief system. I think the way to do that is through social content and traditional narrative content. Should I find that that isn't right or that I'm not good at it and that I'm not able to do what I want from a business perspective with those two paths and I have to pivot at some point and do it another way? Hey, so be it. I'll take my losses. I'll figure it out. I'll regroup and I'll move forward again. But <clears throat> that all comes down to me knowing where I'm ultimately trying to go. I'm not ultimately trying to build the studio. That's a very fun way that I happen to think is the right way. But it's very possible that over time I learn that that's not true and that I have to pivot and do something different. Um, and it just so happens that I'm more passionate about the end result of pulling people out of the matrix than I am the struggle of building a studio. So building the studio is only worth me risking my fortune and all of that because I so believe in what I think it's going to let me do on a cultural subconscious level, embedding an empowering belief system. Um, so if it didn't have that, then I wouldn't be doing it. So that's where that plays out. So um, none of those are bad. Like going back and taking a nine to five, there's no uh, reason why you shouldn't. Like if that feels awesome right now and you're like so tired carrying all the responsibility on your shoulders and it sounds awesome to go find a company that you really believe in and they're really doing something you're passionate about and they're good people, like go plug in, man. That's amazing. This, this is a know thyself moment. And so just really take careful assessment of what your... Um, what your identity is, what you want it to be, have compassion for yourself, and really plan for long-term fulfillment. Don't worry about whether that business was a win or a loss. On a long enough timeline, it's just really not going to matter. 
All right, next up, Ryan Jacobs. Hi, Tom, you're doing an amazing job with the show, especially your communication skills, thank you. How did you learn to communicate so well? Were there any certain books or people that helped you learn how to use appropriate language in effectively communicating explanations or ideas to others? Um, first, yes, I mean, I've just read so many books, it'd be impossible to list them out here, uh, but you can find my top 27 now, I think that it is, at impacttheory.com. Um, head there. And by the way, today's episode is brought to you by the Impact Theory logo shirt. So head to shop.impacttheory.com right now to pick yours up uh, and remind yourself through self-signaling of what this whole ecosystem and way of thinking is all about. Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of books. Like I said, the 27 are there in order that I think people should read them. Um, beyond that, just an insane amount of practice and being willing to hear feedback. So I've been doing speech and debate since I was like 14 years old, maybe 13. Uh, started in high school and just really threw myself into that. And you're actually getting judged and critiqued and you're getting feedback. And from the beginning, um, I just had to take that feedback. And then as I've gotten older as a leader, really accepting your losses, accepting things that you really mess up, uh, allowing yourself to hear from employees how you could be doing it better, just always lowering your defenses, lowering your ego, hearing the hard things, um, being hungry to adjust and grow and get better, all of that is super key. So when you really want to know the truth, when you really hunger to understand what you're doing wrong, how you could be doing something better, that's when you're really gonna start to win. So make sure that you actually wanna know the truth because the thing that you have just forced into your life, the thing that lights you on fire emotionally is actual improvement. When you're lit on fire by actual improvement and all your dopamine and serotonin come rushing in as a result of actual improvement, suddenly you'll hunger to hear the truth, even when it's harsh. That's how you get better. Just practice, 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 practice. All right, Anonymous. How do you go about removing people from your life who you feel are not in line with your principles and lifestyle? How do you wean them out of your life without being a total asshole about it? So my thing is, honestly, I just let space happen naturally. And space usually does happen pretty naturally. Um, like everything in your life, if you want to build something new, don't focus on tearing down the old, old focus on building the new. So rather than worrying about eliminating old friends from your ecosystem, focus on building new friends into your ecosystem. Go spend time with those guys. Fill your life with that, with awesome stuff. Um, and then it's up to you, like, exactly what you want to tell people. Um, Vanessa Van Edwards says that she thinks people should actually break up with friends and actually have the conversation to sit down with people and just say, look, I think we're in different places in our lives. Um, and I don't think this friendship makes sense anymore. That never hit me well. And I think she is brilliant. But this is one place where she and I disagree. It just seems super awkward to me um, and unnecessary. And maybe this is a super dude thing. Um, but the friendships in my life that have evolved into something else, I've just let them evolve into something else. And the reason that I do that is I never know, man. We could evolve back in the same direction again. And having made some big thing about breaking up with them just seems super weird to me. Um, so I like leaving it open and maybe we'll reconnect. And plus, hopefully, um, at least in the people in my life, the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of people still have love for. And so if we were to find common ground again, it'd be awesome. Um, so yeah, I just let time and space do its work. All right, time for one more question. Daniel Breeze. <clears throat> hey, Tom, did you... Hey, Tom, you mentioned that you finally figured out how to read while working out. How? So the key for me on this is there's only certain types of things that I can read while I'm working out. If I need to be taking a lot of notes, I can't do it. <clears throat> um, so it needs to be something like 
when I'm reading for somebody coming on the show because I read in swarms. So I'm not so worried about taking every little detail in. So if I'm doing a set and the set's really intense and I miss, you know, 10 or 15 seconds of the book, not a big deal because I'm going to listen to eight videos or, you know, 15 videos on them talking about the book anyway. <clears throat> so I'm going to get that information from a thousand different angles. So it's basically anything that I can read, podcast work for this, where it's like, it's a flowy conversation. So as long as you're getting, say, 80%, you're getting most of what you want to get versus when I'm really trying to read like Ray Dalio's principles. I would never read at a first pass while working out. It's just too information dense and I want to take notes and, you know, I want to make sure that I'm really focused on it and really writing things down. Um, so it really comes down to things like biographies where it's not like I'm taking a lot of notes per page or when I'm prepping for somebody when I, and thusly I'm reading in swarms or when I'm... Um, listening to a podcast, which is more conversational. All right, there you have it. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Forgive me, the beginning of this was really weird cadence because I was coughing to death. Hopefully we were able to edit a lot of that out. Uh, I'm at the tail end of a really weird sickness that's been sort of light emotionally, hasn't been super destructive, uh, but come with some pretty heinous coughing. So Nonetheless, thank you for joining me. Again, I'm traveling uh, this Friday, which is why we had to do this now. If there are any comic book fans that are interested in what we're doing, it is fucking heating up over here on the comic book side. I'm super stoked. We're about to sign our first writer. Very amped. Going to be making an announcement about the first book in July, dropping it in October. It's all going to be good stuff, revealing the celebrity that's involved. All of it going to be amazing. Uh, so if you're going to be in Chicago at the Comic-Con, be sure to uh, hit me with a DM, ping me. be great to connect. All right, guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.